The stressors confronting someone facing homelessness can be overwhelming, especially when connected to complicated legal issues. You'll be inspired to hear from Jack Regenbogen and Ellen Lee how the Colorado Poverty Law Project is having an impact on housing justice on many levels with free legal services and more on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I am looking forward to a conversation about the great work the Colorado Poverty Law Project is doing in the community with Deputy Executive Director Jack Regenbogen and Development and Grants Manager Ellen Lee. Ellen is passionate about communicating the Colorado Poverty Law Project's mission and impact to donors. And prior to joining the organization, she spent years fundraising for human services organization and holds an MA in arts management from Carnegie Mellon University. Jack is responsible for developing and supporting policies to improve the housing security of low-income Coloradans and has built up expertise in evictions, landlord-tenant law, mobile home park policy, and affordable housing. Can't wait to hear more. He also assists with the Colorado Poverty Law Project's administrative and development functions. He earned his JD from the University of Pennsylvania Law School in 2015 and his bachelor's degree from the Colorado College in 2012. Jack and Ellen, welcome and thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, great to be here. So why don't we start simple and just kind of uh, introduce us to the Colorado Poverty Law Project and talk about the organization's mission. Right. Um, so Colorado Poverty Law Project is a homelessness prevention agency, and we prevent homelessness through legal representation, education and advocacy for tenants and mobile home residents across the whole state of Colorado. We have a team of staff attorneys and almost 400 pro bono attorneys now, wow. um, which has grown quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and we provide free legal advice and representation, legal clinics, know your rights trainings. We have a mobile home initiative. We have young adult programs. We also have housing navigation services um, for things like housing vouchers, Section 8, um, referrals for rental assistance and things like that. We also pursue systemic changes through policy and legislative advocacy at the state and local level, which is wow. uh, Jack's wheelhouse. And really, we believe that no one should experience homelessness due to lack of housing justice. And we're here to help ensure that cost burden individuals, particularly from historically underrepresented groups, um, have access to legal services and housing advocacy. I love it. So talk a little bit about kind of the scope of services that you provide under that ginormous umbrella of all that different stuff that you do. Our uh, our bread and butter is that we provide free legal assistance to renters who are either facing an eviction or dealing with other housing related issues. But when we aren't able to provide legal relief and sometimes, unfortunately, the law just comes up short in providing meaningful remedies, we do have a team of housing navigators who are charged with trying to find people alternative housing opportunities. We do uh, a number of community education events and know your rights trainings so that people are armed with the knowledge that they would need to advocate for themselves. Um, we have a program specifically focused on advancing the rights 
of mobile home park residents called the Mobile Home Initiative. And that's been uh, one of our most successful programs to date. And then we also work, as Ellen mentioned, uh, through policy advocacy. And so we're active in the state legislature and on the local level and in the public policy making processes to protect and represent the interest of our clients. That is fantastic. And, you know, I know the legal system can be pretty intimidating for anybody. And I would imagine, especially so for folks in lower income brackets. But so by the time somebody comes to you, how desperate of a situation are they? Do they find themselves in? That's a really good question. And um, I'm not so much on the programming end, but I mean, the law is complicated and I'm not a lawyer and I I personally wouldn't even know where to start. It's, and so many people are unaware of their rights and that they even um, can seek support um, for things like this. So I would imagine that people come to us in pretty desperate situations. Jack, what have you seen when, when folks are knocking on your door? I, I mean, I'm sure you see just about everything, but what how do they find you to, to start with? Uh, yeah, opportunities like appearing on your podcast today. I hope it will help get the word out. I hope so too. <laughs> because I, I do want to stress if, if you're a listener tuning in right now and either you or someone you know could benefit from free legal assistance with a housing issue, it's definitely quite helpful when people come to us earlier rather than later. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we are often contacted by people when it's it's one of their worst days with the imminent prospect of housing insecurity or even homelessness and we do everything possible that we can to try to prevent that from happening but the options become more limited the longer uh, it takes for us to connect with someone wow that's interesting so kind of walk me through when somebody finally does find you I'm, I know there's no such thing as a typical case, but if somebody finds you kind of walk us through the process of how you reach out and then and then elevate them and help them with all this stuff that they have to deal with. Well, the, the best way for people to get in touch with us is through our website, copovertylawproject.org. And you'll see on that website that we have an intake form available in both English and Spanish. Awesome. That allows people uh, the opportunity to provide information about what's going on. It can also include attachments or documents for us to review. And then we have just a, a brilliant team of intake staff who are compassionate and understanding and realize that there may be more than just housing issues that are going on. And so they they are also very adept at connecting people with the right community resources to help out, even if it's not a housing related issue. But once someone submits an intake, our team will review and we'll reach out to that person. And then if we think we can be helpful, we'll connect them either with our legal team or with our team of housing navigators, and they'll provide assistance. And that involves reviewing what's going on, helping out with the drafting of motions and pleading so that people are prepared to defend themselves in court if needed. And we also help people with some of the behind the scenes softer negotiations when there's mediation opportunities or when we can help clarify what's really going on with their landlord. Um, and in most cases, we're very successful at negotiating a resolution that would either allow our clients to remain housed or have additional time to find alternative housing. 
That is awesome because, you, you know, I think of, oh my gosh, I've got to file a motion or I've got to respond to a motion or something, you know, again, so intimidating. And to know that there's a resource like this is just awesome. But, you know, one thing I'm curious about from, from both of you is that, you know, the new, the new mayor, our new mayor, Mike Johnson has basically declared homelessness as a state of emergency. Um, and affordable housing is such a big deal in Denver like it is in, in a lot of places, but talk to me a little bit about how you've seen that evolve over the last two or three years with the the homeless, the affordable housing issue. I will say, first of all, that the majority of eviction cases are for non-payment, meaning that um, people can't afford to cover right. their rent. Um, and that can happen. I, I want to stress that that can happen for so many reasons. Like, I mean, so many people are just one crisis away from being in that position themselves. So this could be, you know, a car accident or a mm -hmm. disability that impacts your ability to work for a while. And um, that that is, from what I've personally seen, a very pressing issue. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is that uh, things have been getting worse since the pandemic. Um, you know, we all know the economic catastrophes that were wrought because of the pandemic right. and the unemployment. And there were temporary programs, rental assistance that was made available by the federal government and additional funding for eviction legal defense. And that did help uh, curb the tide of potential evictions. But most of those resources are going away. Right. What we've seen in the last year are ev evictions being filed at anywhere from 50 to 100 percent the rate that they were being filed before wow. the pandemic. Wow. We personally have witnessed unprecedented historic increases in the number of intakes that we are receiving. Sure. And several of those intakes involve debts that accrued one, two, three years ago, still, you know, debts that were accrued during the pandemic. Right. So things right now, I think, are, are looking a little bit concerning. Sure. Um, and our hope is that public policymakers don't think that the issue has been resolved because right. there was that short-term federal relief that was helpful, but it, it hasn't been enough. And there's more interventions that are needed. And I'm sure, you know, I know the moratorium on evictions ran out. Gosh, that's been over a year now. So that had to cause a, a big spike for y'all. Um, but but talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, the network that you guys have. I think it's super impressive, this kind of network that you've built with housing navigators and service providers and funders, again, in a super complicated arena. It looks like you all have managed to bring together a great consortium of folks to kind of tackle this problem from a legal standpoint. So talk to me about your network a little bit. I would say overall, the goal is to provide what's called um, wraparound services, meaning yeah. that, you know, it's never one particular issue um, that, that someone's experiencing. Usually there's several variables um, that go into someone's circumstances and why they're experiencing housing insecurity. So uh, we work with a wide array of partners to um, refer out for things like rental assistance or um, food assistance or mental health services um, to just really try to provide more holistic support 
And um, one of the most important things we do, too, in regards to partnerships are um, working with uh, partners and legislators on policy work. Yeah. And this is one of our um, one of the biggest, I feel, most important things that we do. And um, Jack, I can let you talk more about that. Thanks, Ellen. And, and just to add to what you're saying, uh, we really do everything in collaboration with community partners. Unfortunately, Denver and the broader Colorado communities are, are blessed with a robust network of service mm-hmm. providers and policy advocacy groups. And so just to name a, a few, um, the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless is doing yep. tremendous work providing affordable housing. Yeah. We've partnered with groups like Colorado Children's Campaign on legislative efforts. We work with community organizing groups such as 9 to 5, uh, particularly in mobile home park space. Um, and we And we directly inform our policy priorities based on the real life challenges that our clients face. And so our clients are such an, a valuable part of right. what services and what advocacy we pursue. Um, just this past year, for example, we were able to advance several pieces of legislation, including one bill that will allow people to participate in their eviction virtually so that yeah. if they aren't able to appear in court in person because of child care right. or their, their jobs, then they will still have the opportunity to appear either via telephone or online. And so that's uh, predicted that's awesome. significantly reduce the default judgment rate or the rate of people who automatically lose their eviction because they aren't able to appear. So I love it. So you guys are doing stuff on a granular level from helping somebody with an intake, fill out paperwork or find some place to stay that night. And then you're doing stuff on a big scale that's going to affect things on the legislative side. And and let me ask you, this is not necessarily just an urban issue in Colorado, is it? No, it is not. Um, in fact, some of the hardest cases that we we hear of are happening in the rural areas. Uh, there's been a lot of reporting lately that's focused on Colorado's what's called legal deserts. But there yeah. are a number of counties where there are anywhere from zero to five attorneys available oh. to the entire county. And so one of our goals in terms of the strategic growth of our organization over the past couple of years and into the future is to expand our scope of services so that we're able to meet the needs of rural Colorado even better. And that was also one of the goals underpinning our efforts to expand virtual participation and evictions. Genius. Love it. It's been, you know, this is hard, heavy work that you guys do. Um, And I know... You know, a lot of people in nonprofits, what keeps them going is is the successes and the and the difference they make. So are there any favorite success stories that you guys could share about, you know, that, that really shows the work that you do? We've had a lot of, I would say, legislative success um, recently that is really important. And I can let Jack um, talk about because we've been involved with some pretty landmark um, legislation. Uh, Jack, do you want to talk about that? One of the bills that we worked on in partnership with the Coalition for the Homeless this past session, it was Senate Bill 184, 
And what this bill does is it expands opportunities for rental applicants who otherwise might have faced barriers because of their credit score or because of their incomes. Yep. Um, in fact, I, I'm not sure if you're a renter, Jay, or if you've rented in the past, but mm-hmm. it's become fairly ubiquitous in Colorado and across the country that in order to be eligible for rental housing, a person would have to demonstrate that they earn three times or more the cost of rent. And I can understand why a landlord would want to ensure financial solvency of their prospective right. tenants. But at the same time, that's just not the not realities that we have as a state. In fact, more than half or about half of all of Colorado's renters are facing housing insecurity, meaning that they're spending more than a third of their income oh. on housing. And about a quarter about a quarter of all renters in Colorado spend more than half of their income towards housing. So under that three times requirement, so many people that we were trying to help were being priced out. And part of the legislation that was passed says, no, a landlord can still ask about someone's income and they can still verify that they earn at least two times or more the cost of rents, but they can't require or consider income above that amount. As long as someone's earning at least twice the cost of monthly rent, then they would be eligible for that housing. And we're one of the first states, I think the first state, the only state in the country that has passed this type of policy. Ah, salute. We've also, part of this bill says that for people with a voucher who are receiving a housing subsidy, they can't be denied based on their credit score or their credit history. And that's really important because if they are receiving a voucher, their finances have already been vetted by the voucher, the housing authority typically, or the voucher provider. They've already had all of their documents thoroughly vetted, and they're receiving a subsidy to offset the cost of rent. There's really no legitimate basis to deny someone housing based on their credit history under those circumstances. And so we join, I believe, just the only other place that has done this is Washington, D.C., but Colorado has now said that for folks who have a voucher or a subsidy, they can't be denied based on their credit history. And so that was another accomplishment that we were really proud of that happened just this past uh, past year. That's knocking down a huge barrier. You've just eliminated a barrier for almost 50 percent of the population that's renting. I appreciate you saying that, Jay. And and I, I am excited about the difference that these types of policies can make. You know, one thing that's really unique about the Colorado Poverty Law Project, and it's something that you've hit on, is that we are positioned, I think, in a special way because we do both direct service and we work at the 30,000 foot level. And so uh, on one hand, I already mentioned that our policy priorities are directly informed by that direct service. They're informed by our cases and by our clients. But the reciprocal is also true. When we're successful at passing or helping to pass these important policy changes, in turn, that also informs the type of legal work that we do. And and our team is really on the front lines in terms of trying to enforce and implement these new legal requirements. So it's a great circle because it's got to be one of those ones where the work you're doing on the ground has got to provide so much credibility when you're doing the legislative piece and then the legislative piece comes back and helps you with the work you're doing on the ground. So it's just an awesome circle. But for either of you, was there kind of an aha moment 
for either of you when you decided, you know, this is the kind of work I want to do. I very much had an aha moment. Um, this was a few months before I'd applied for this job. Um, I was walking through a neighborhood that I'd just moved to um, in near Capitol Hill and saw an eviction. And I had never personally seen one before. And um, I mean, I knew I'd known already that there it was a pretty undignified process, but to physically see it was very powerful for me um, because from a distance, you might think, oh, there's someone's having a yard sale. <laughs> but walk, you know, walking past, it's like right. oh, someone's photo albums are in the mm. grass covered in ants right now. This is just so like no one should have to go through this. No one should have to feel that absolute dramatic, right? That's right. a dramatic experience that's gonna imprint. Yeah. And so that was very powerful for me and and a huge part of what led me towards this work, although I've been involved with human services um, for several years, but specifically housing and um, the eviction defense and homelessness prevention space. That was uh, a big catalyst for me. Jack, how do, how do you get up in this from a, as a lawyer? So my aha moment probably happened before I was even in law school. When I was an undergraduate student down in Colorado Springs, my time there coincided with the city of Colorado Springs, considering their version of a no camping ordinance. Mm -hmm. It's been a hot button issue that's been controversial yeah. in Denver and in several places throughout the state. But in Colorado Springs at that time, it was arguably even more concerning simply because there were just so few beds available in the city that by definition, even if every person experiencing homelessness tried to comply with the law, they wouldn't have been able to. They just weren't enough beds. And so this was my first foray into political advocacy. It was the first time I ever testified at a city council hearing. And I had a very supportive professor at the time who was a mentor. And she helped encourage me to lead demonstrations and protests, things along those lines. But at some point, it became pretty evident that we were going to lose the political fight. And at that point, I started calling different law firms and nonprofit legal firms to ask whether there might be potential to mount some type of legal challenge. And what I was told essentially was, yes, we agree this is wrong. And yes, we agree that this is likely unconstitutional given the shortage of beds. But we just simply don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the capacity to to do anything about it right now. Now, that has since changed. This was all, gosh, probably about 15 years ago at this point. Um, but for me, that was a, a real catalyst. And it's what inspired me to want to go to law school and ultimately to come back to Colorado and to see if I could be helpful in trying to play some small role in addressing these issues. Uh, I was previously working for a different nonprofit, but had had the privilege and the opportunity of working with Colorado Poverty Law Project and was just enamored by the client-centered model of rendering free legal assistance. And so I was very privileged a couple of years ago when I had the opportunity to join this team. That's fabulous. Well, you know, I always say in a perfect world, 
you guys would go out of business, right? But but that's not going to happen. Yeah. So what what is a a big audacious goal that you have for the project? Yeah. So when I joined two years ago, I think I was maybe the eighth employee here, and by now we have uh, I want to say a, a, about twenty five employees. Mm-hmm. So we've we've grown so quickly. So the, I think the most audacious desire right now is just to maintain our growth in a sustainable way so that we can continue providing the high quality services that, that we can offer. Um, I will say that one particular area where we've been hoping to expand specifically into is emergency and disaster relief, because some of the hardest phone calls that we get happen either after a natural disaster or a building fire. And those are just tragic cases that typically affect more than one tenant in, in the any given building. And so one of the areas that we are hoping to expand is our capacity to provide immediate legal relief and and holistic relief to people oh. who are unfortunately in those situations. Well, and this one will probably be directed mostly at Ellen, but as a not, you know, every nonprofit, we're always wrestling with how do we, how we maintain that sustainability and, you know, where have you found your greatest success in, in development and fundraising? Hmm, that's a good question too. Um, I would say there's so much funding available um, in bigger cities. And again, we're a statewide organization and um, I mean, it's it's tough because those rural areas though are where where we'd like to do a lot more work and there's not a lot of funding specifically targeted to that so that can be a little bit challenging to to juggle um but we've also seen a lot of success just with individual donors really caring about what we do and um becoming supporters in that way and that is that means so much to us because that gives us the flexibility and sustainability to continue offering the programs we do, we do regardless of whether or not larger funders change their priorities. Cause that can happen very suddenly, but when right. we have like the genuine support of our community, that's really powerful and really important. And we've seen our community come through for us, um, which is wonderful. Well, that's super validating too, because they, I think anybody who supports you probably understands the impact you're having is, you know, it's generational. You're helping families, you know, generations of families and you're helping the broader community, not just those people. I mean, it's going to have an impact that ripples across the whole, uh, whole community. So I'll change gears here as a little bit as I, as I respect your guys's time and thanks again. Um, but one thing I always like to ask is what is something you will read, listen to, or watch today? I personally have been doing a lot of karaoke lately. So I will be listening to some playlists I've created of some of the songs I'm workshopping for, um, you know, for some singing. So, um, so that's what I've been listening to. And I, I would like to go back and listen to more of your podcast, Jay. Oh, sure. Such a great interviewer. And I'm excited to dive into more of your content. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. So <laughs> for each of you, who has been a role model for you? you know, that that has really kind of inspired you to do this work that you're doing today? I personally pull a lot of inspiration from um, from the staff attorneys at CPLP, um, because I'm, of course, not a lawyer, 
but I'm very inspired by the passion that all of our attorneys have um, for the community that we serve, um, especially since, you know, it's, I'm sure, a massive pay cut as a lawyer to be working at a nonprofit as opposed to a private firm. And to just see people show up every day with so much resilience, especially for hearing, I'm, you know, some of the more difficult um, cases and stories that they have to hear all day, every day, um, just their willingness to show up and um, to support is very inspiring to me. And that's um, one thing that helps keep me going too. Yeah. And in my case, um, I've been blessed with a number of really incredible supportive professional mentors. Um, just to name a few at, at my previous job, I uh, worked under Claire Levy, who's now a county commissioner in Boulder nice. I worked under Shar Robert, who's the legislative director at the Colorado Center on Law and Policy. And I'm currently uh, learning a ton working under the leadership of our director, uh, Shannon McKenzie, who's just been an incredible visionary for Colorado Poverty Law Project. But I will say that ult- you know, my ultimate mentors have always been my parents. Um, they were both public school teachers and really just instilled a, a value around um, community service and compassion for others. Um, and they continue to inspire me to this day. You the teachers. Love it. So you guys travel in some awesome circles with some of these partners that we touched on a little bit earlier, but is there any organizations out there that you especially would like to highlight or give a shout out to for the work that they're doing? There's so many great partners that we have that it's, it's tough to, to just name a few, but I, I, I do want to give credit to the Office of Housing Stability with Denver as well. There's a few other places too, Adams County, Larimer County. It's just, it's always very special and inspiring to see government folks who are really in this business for the right reasons and who go out of their way to try to provide the best degree of service possible to the people and community who who need a helping hand. And so our governmental partners have been just phenomenal. Um, and I feel like you know people have all sorts of ideas about government and bureaucracy, and I can understand why. But if they had the privilege of being able to work with some of our partners, I think it would be really eye-opening and inspiring to see. Lastly, probably most importantly, if somebody wants to support the Colorado Poverty Law Project, learn more about it, if they need your services, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they just want to support you and get behind what you're doing. What's the best way for them to find you? To support us, um, the fastest, most effective way to make a difference right now is to just go on our website at um, copovertylawproject.org and um, click the donate button and um, you can make an online gift today. That's extremely helpful for us. Um, If you're looking to get support, um, uh, like Jack mentioned earlier, um, filling out an intake form on our website um, is the fastest, most effective way to get connected with a lawyer. Uh, we don't have a physical office location. Um, the majority of our work is done virtually, but if someone doesn't have access to a computer, uh, they can call us at 303-532-2641 and um, we can get them connected. Fantastic. We'll put all that in the show notes. And if any attorney friends are listening, I'm sure you could u- always use more pro bono help. Absolutely. Uh, yes. 
Uh, the, truly admire the work you guys doing. It's it's like I say, it's tough, heavy sledding. You're carrying a heavy load, and I, I appreciate your attitudes and uh, your passion for your work, and and wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate your kind words and this opportunity to talk about our work today. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Ellen and Jack for their passion and devotion to this important and complex issue. This podcast is brought to you by JC Charity Services. Being a nonprofit leader is hard, and I'd love to help you thrive. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To support or learn more about the Colorado Poverty Law Project, visit copovertylawproject.org. Check the show notes for links, and if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.